Okay, everyone, thank you for joining. Sorry for the delay. Um, tonight's class has been dedicated by tonight's class has been dedicated loving memory of Shaktai Ben David Mills and this is by his family the Colin Mills this is Miss Jones Mills Mrs. Hannah Hinder Smith and as you heard, it is tonight, the fifth day of Shabbat. May his neshama have a very great aliyah. Um, his family and friends were um, foremost in his life, and friends were treated like family, a very special person, always doing for others. May Hashem lift his neshama up to the greatest heights. May this chus of this class stand for him. And then you should bring brachas to his family, all that they need and all that they want. Blessings and blessings and blessings and more blessings and infinite blessings. Thank you for that dedication. All the way, at least partially, from the Holy Land. Thank you. Today uh, is also my birthday. So I wish everyone, we didn't get to do a fabrengen yet. You're supposed to do a fabrengen on your birthday. Um, I was traveling, I just got back, today I was flying just a few hours ago, so I'm a little bit, still, uh, and a lot of traveling before that, according to a week and a half I was in here, and as a result of that, a little woozy, so I hope the class is okay, And uh, but I didn't get to do a Fabrengen, so let's treat this as at least an initial Fabrengen, I want to get some Fabrengen in on my birthday, my birthday was not the, hate, the 5th of Shvat, but the fourth of Shvat, so today is the conclusion. Now is the conclusion of it. So, Lachaim everyone, everybody should be blessed. When you, it's your birthday, you have a, on the Hebrew birthday, you have a power to give big blessings. Everybody, the biggest blessing of all is that we should all have the Giyulah, we should all have the redemption now. And, 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 uh, and along with that package should come all the individual blessings that everybody needs. Good health for all those who need. And Yaakov Kahneman, mentioned with him, and to everyone else, healing, abundance, bracha of Parnassa, great wealth, a lot of spiritual illumination, calmness, prosperity, and and happiness. Children for those who need children. And uh, healthy children. Raise our children good with positivity and happiness. And only, only good things to everyone. And we say, Amen. Okay. Now, being that next week, um, this coming week is the holy day of Yutchvat. It's the 70th um, anniversary. Year, passing of the previous Chabad Rebbe, the base of Yitzchak, and the assuming
Okay, hopefully now we are working. Sorry. Whenever the cameras are making monkey business, you know, that's an important class. Sorry, okay. Yeah, it suddenly went off. I don't know why. Okay, we're back here. Still on? Good. All right. So, in honor of 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 um, your chat, we're going to do the Basi Lagani. Basi Lagani is the famous discourse called "I Have Come to My Garden." It's all about bringing God down into the garden, which means to make this world into a garden that God can be over here and call this His most precious. Um, and the pleasure God wants to live more than any other place. This is what the Rebbe spoke, and it initiated his leadership based on this discourse. The great long story that we're going to make very brief is that the previous Chabad Rebbe, who passes away on the 10th day of Shva, um, had, had, and this is this year is very special because it's a hundred years since the discourse was said. Let me give you a little background over here. The previous Chabad Rebbe. Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak passed away on the 10th day of Shabbat, um, which usually coincides to sometime in January. I'm not exactly sure what the, what the, uh, the day of the Gregorian calendar was. In 1950, on Shabbos, Shabbos morning. Uh, so that Shabbos was his grandmother's yard site. Um, the previous Rebbe, the day before his own passing, um, had issued a discourse that he himself did not say at that time, but he said at a much earlier time. But he had this old discourse of his um, laid out, printed, some notes added to it by our Rebbe, and published in honor of the day of his passing. Now, again, he, uh, it's not like what's going to happen. But on the on the uh, the 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 uh, practical reason why he was giving out this discourse for this particular Shabbos was because it was his grandmother's yard site. So to do something in order of his grandmother, the wife of the fifth Chabad, the fourth Chabad Rebbe, Reb Shmuel, his wife's name was Rivka. The previous Rebbe cherished his grandmother very much. He told him lots of stories. He was very close to her. She was a very saintly woman, as were all the Rebbes, as you can imagine. Anyways, um, it was her site, so the Rebbe had a mimer of his own published in honor of his grandma's yard site. Um, the next day, which was the day that the mimer was supposed to be learned by all the Hasidim, as the previous Rebbe's mimer, unbeknown to Hasidim, that would be the day the Friedrich Rebbe himself would pass on. So he passed away. This discourse had 20 chapters. Okay, so we keep that in mind. The following year, um, when the Lubavitcher Rebbe um, assumed the, 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 the leadership in 1951, on the day of the yard site of his predecessor, the Rebbe then began, it's the custom amongst Chabad, that how does a Rebbe officially become Rebbe? Like what is this official consent and what is his inaugural act of being a teacher, being a, not a teacher, is much more than a teacher, being the, the leader of the Jewish people, he opens it up by delivering a, a Hasidic discourse. So the Rebbe started his discourse based on 
where his predecessor, the previous, the sixth Rebbe, had left off. So the Rebbe uh, um, set his own discourse called Basti Lagani, which was commentary with incredible amount of new insights and depth, but it was still commentary on his father-in-law's discourse. And that set the tone and laid out the function of how the Rebbe describes his own leadership. What's its purpose? What's its mission? And basically, its purpose and its mission, as discussed in the previous Rebbe's discourse and then later elaborated by the Rebbe, is to complete the entire purpose of creation. That's what it is. So if you're wondering why Chabadnik is, and Lubavitchers insist that he is, that this is the last Rebbe and there's no Rebbe after him, and he is the one who completes the job and brings the Moshiach, and from the discourse implying that he himself is the leader which is Moshiach, is because this is the discourse, that there are seven righteous tzaddikim whose job is to funnel and draw God down into the world. It happened once in the beginning of history, it happens again at the end time of history. And this is the way that tzaddikim work, from one generation to the next generation, each generation furthers the descent of the Shekhinah further and further until God is brought down. To the Rebbe said, this is my mission, this is our generation, and we're going to get the job done. So, even if we find ourselves in a situation where 30 years has passed since we've seen the Rebbe last, and as a result of that, many people question and wonder if, you know, it really means that the Rebbe says that he is the one who finishes the job and so on and so forth. Let everybody question and wonder whatever they want, but that doesn't change the fact that this is what the Rebbe said and this is the discourse. There's no two ways to cut it. This is what he's saying. He's saying it's our job to complete the job. Just like at that time, Moshe, who's the seventh one, he was not the one who prepared it for someone else, but he was the one who actually lit up the world with the divine presence in the Mishkan, in the same exact way the Rebbe is saying about himself, I am, this is the I, but he's talking about seventh leader. And actually, in the he keeps on staying uncomfortable. We are, and how it's against our own will that we are the seventh. But when you're the seventh, you're selected to be the seventh, and therefore your job is to escort God down into this world. And that's why Chabad is all over the world to the four corners of the earth. And in every single town, village, country, neighborhood, street, wherever it is that they come, they bring a powerful illumination of the divine into that area by getting Jews and also non-Jews but primarily Jews to do mitzvot and non-Jews an awareness of the seven Noahide laws. And there has never been in the history of the world a global movement that reached the entire world with such enormous power and light. And the Rebbe says that's Basil Lagani. Now, as the Rebbe, his first year when the Rebbe is Rebbe, he based on in his first discourse, he based his discourse um primarily on the first chapter of the previous Rebbe's Basi Lagani discourse. Second year, on the very same day, now it's already the first, already a year has passed from 1951 to 1952. 1952, on again, the yard side of his predecessor, the Rebbe has a brain. This is the conclusion of the first year of his leadership, inaugurating the second year, the Rebbe doesn't forget about his purpose and his mission and what he is all about and what the generation is all about, 
he comes back to exactly that point and as he keeps himself very 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 focused on what our job is and but this discourse that he gives the second year is primarily a commentary and an explanation on the previous Rebbe's original discourse but on the second chapter and then a year passes and I'm sure that year the Rebbe is doing all the work that corresponds to that second chapter of Basi Ligani. I'm sure if someone would really, really research this, he would be able to see that that is the inaugural discourse. Every single year has an inaugural discourse. It's not just another year. It's a, it's a, it's a program. It's a process. Within the accumulation of all these years, the Rebbe is going to accomplish what he set out to do, to complete the work of the purpose of creation. So then we get the third year, the Rebbe again starts Basi Ligani, and he says a discourse, and in that discourse, look who's here. I was sure that you would know that that, that we're learning. You weren't going to think. Someone baked me a birthday cake. You were very, very kind. Then they left it in my office, or by my desk, a nice little, a nice little cute cake, a little blessing. So, if you see me gnashing on cake, you'll know it's I'm very, because it's my birthday. So I'm, I'm enjoying a little cake. <laughs> in any case, welcome back. So, the third year, the Rebbe again says Basi Ligani. And in this discourse, in the Basilegani that he says now, he focuses on the third chapter. And so the Rebbe goes ahead year after year, continuously building his discourses on, on the Basilegani's of his previous, of his predecessor. Until he finishes all 20, the commentary on all 20 chapters, and he comes around again to, in other words, you would think, okay, by now he finished already. He delved already in, he opened it up, he gave so much commentary in every single chapter. Then he comes around again because the Rebbe stays focused. There is one purpose and one reason why I am Rebbe and what I'm doing over here. I'm not just another leader of the Jewish people. I have a God-given purpose that he has given me to bring redemption to the world, to bring the Shekhinah down into the world in a physical sense, to bring God down here, all the way, all the way down here to earth. So the Rebbe starts round two in Basi Lagani. And he moves around, and he does it again week after week, year after year. This time he didn't complete it, because as those familiar with the Rebbe's conduct, when his wife, the daughter of the previous Rebbe, passed away in 1988, in the year 57, six no five seven eight eight uh no what was it uh five seven four eight hebrew year five seven four eight for whatever reason hasidim spoke about that already the rebbe stopped saying discourses so that was kind of a couple of chapters before concluding maybe three chapters before concluding so we don't have the complete set we almost have two full rounds of discourses now this year now, what Hasidim have done is they continued learning, even though the Rebbe didn't give out, say, a new discourse. The Rebbe himself would give out 
explanations for the discourse. So the following years, even though he didn't mind, we're gonna edit old discourses of Basi Lagani for Yitzhak. For the next couple of years, the, the Rebbe was with us in a physical sense that we can see him. And Hasim retained this, this, this custom. We continue learning the Basi Laganis. And what we do is every single year, we again, when it comes to this time of the year, we again study the chapter associated with that year. And then we go back to the, to the, to, to, and that's the previous Rebbe's uh, chap, uh, chapter. And then we continue learning the Rebbe's discourses. And we have mostly we have a choice to study two, the one or the other, because most of the years you have two discourses, and um, and so you can learn both, or you can learn one, or you can learn just the Friedrich Rebbe's uh, the uh, piece, whatever it is. So this year we are we are the thirteenth year. This year corresponds to the cycle. In other words, had we been merited to hear the Rebbe giving discourses, he would now be saying an explanation on chapter 13 and this would have been round four okay because we're holding now 73 years since the previous rebbe's pa uh, passing and so we would be on each and each 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 um segment that's 20 chapters so that's leading up to 80 we're holding by 73 so that's why this year's corresponds to the 70 the chapter 13. So we have two discourses actually that we can learn from the Rebbe. One is from the year 1963 and one is from the year 1983. 1963 would be the year 5733, Tashin Lamed Gimel. And the other one, no, 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 not, not Lamed Gimel, Tashin Chav Gimel. 57 then 23 or 57 43 what we're going to do tonight is the first discourse 57 23 um okay now let's add one more amazing point about why this year's yutchvat is special as i mentioned the previous rebbe on the day of his passing when he issued this amazing discourse which was prophetic because he basically was talking about the next generation and what its job is and what needs to happen and so on and so forth and the fact that he was giving out that discourse basically handing over the baton as he would say to the next generation the even though the free degree had hundreds of discourses he could have chosen to give any discourse not the one describing what the seventh generation is all about so for the day that he passes away, he, he gives that discourse. So you see that Sadiqim, you know, they see things, they see everything. They see things, they see everything. And they can see, you know, what what was gonna happen. They can see what was going to happen. And um the Rebbe prepared us. But again, he didn't give a new discourse. He just took an old one. Because at that time, the Rebbe couldn't even talk. The Friedrich Rebbe had suffered. Um, uh, the Rebbe speaks about it in, the, in, in his talk of this week in the Dvar Malchus. 
about the Fidig Rebbe's speech impediment. The Rebbe compares it to Moshe Rabbeinu, who had a speech impediment, couldn't talk. For whatever reason, um, in the end of his life, he couldn't really, he couldn't talk. So he 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 gave out the previous now. But when he when did he say this discourse? He said it in the year 56, 83. And now we're in the year 57, 83, which means, what was that? It was in the year, it's very hard for me. I have a, a complete disconnect, which would always connect the, 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 the secular years and the Hebrew years. I'm always having a hard time with that. So it's exactly, a hundred years ago, so it shouldn't be hard to do that. It's the year 1923. In the winter of 1923, Parshas Bodhishavas, 100 years ago, was when the previous Rebbe said the Basiligani. So it makes this year a very special year because it's a hundred years, a hundred reaches means a certain completion. When the Rebbe says a discourse, he's drawing divine light down into the world, and a hundred is a complete number representing the entire, the entire, all of existence in its full entirety. So that's really special. With Hashem's help, um, if we have a Fabrengen for you, Chat, um, there's a lot more which I haven't shared, but we're going to talk about the uniqueness of this year and the specialty and the power of it. It's unbelievable. But now, all that has been an introduction, we can go and learn inside. Um, so, here. Okay, let me just give the gist, the gist of the theme of chapter 13. The gist of the theme, the, the layout of the discourse, basically, of the, of the previous Rebbe's discourse, which, the, which our Rebbe gives commentary on. And then we have to see what, it, so we have to give the general layout, and then we see what is the preoccupation of chapter, of chapter 13. It's a, it's a build-up. In the first, in the beginning, of course, the Rebbe talking about the objective of bringing God down into the world. Now, that's the purpose of all of creation, all of existence. The purpose is not in heaven; the purpose is on earth. And what is the purpose? The purpose is from to, to reveal God in this world, and to make God so comfortable in this world, more than God is in the heavens of the heavens above, to the extreme to the extent that our physical world becomes His pro, His His personal home. What is so unique about a home? A home is a place where you can express yourself as you are. Which means you're there with your entire self, not just a particular element of your light, but you as you truly are, are fully present in your house. And that's the purpose of creation. Bringing God down into this world to fully, fully reveal himself, to fully manifest, which is going to be accomplished in Messianic times. And he begins by explaining how this initially when God created the world, the divine presence was on earth. 
because that's really what he desired more than anything else. But then he was chased away through men's choices. We made poor choices. And in those poor choices, we chose, we, we chased God away. Seven generations of sin. The whole, pro, the whole, pro, the whole, uh, um, 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 what we call again, um, this whole, the whole, um, I'm going to call it, what is it, when you do a, when you're doing a, uh, it's not a test, I was looking for a test, this whole, I forgot the word I'm looking for. In any case, um, in the beginning it was failing. I mean, that, I have to say that that's part of the plan, because in the beginning everything that God wanted was working the other way. So we shouldn't get discouraged when we try things and it doesn't work out, because God tried and it wasn't working for him. It was actually mercy. Isn't that amazing? We get so frustrated that things don't work out right. And then we blame God. We get all angry at him. Why? When we try to do good things, it doesn't always work out initially. And God says, what do you want from me? The same thing happened to me. I'm creating the world and everything is going backwards. Everything is literally going backwards for God. And the man, and the world is becoming the least. The, that world that he dreamed of filling with his, with his glory and his light becomes the least receptive of him and becomes more and more and more antagonizing and becomes distal because of all the sins that we do he chases god away finally finally after a long long haul uh after two thousand years so it wasn't a short period two thousand years of concealment and darkness begin the process of returning the shekhinah down to the world it just occurred to me because you know we we we, we know we're two thousand years in exile Wow, this is frightening. I just had such, 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 such an incredible. Wow. See, we're sitting together here and certain. So you think the 2,000 years long. But then you realize that the whole Avram Avinu, the initial first time, is also after a 2,000 year darkness. Actually, to make it even, why am I getting chills? Because I think Abraham was born Avraham was born in 1948 from creation. Where are we holding now in the exile? I think we're 1952 now. Since the temple was destroyed. So, and it says Avram recognized his creator when he was three years old. So, what did he recognize his creator? In the year 1951. And when did he start proclaiming God's name? In the year 1952. So, Godliness become visible in the world. And the, the drawing of the Shekhinah coming down after 1950 years. And now we're 1950 years around that time of Avram. Anyway, so the previous chapter says... That's just an interesting idea that, that it never occurred to me that because to us and I'm not having any any uh, any reasons for us to be able to accept the fact that we, we were supposed to be frustrated that it's long and it is long, but it, it shouldn't it shouldn't lead us to a conclusion that it's not gonna happen. That that's that's all I am trying to it's the last time it was this way it was two thousand years. In, it's interesting because in the Chumash, you hardly have anything on those 2,000 years other than there was a big flood. There's much going on. 
It's a 2,000 years, and you learn about it in two Torah portions, and that's it. Then you're home, Lech Lecha starts Abraham. That's, that's at the end of 2,000 years. So this is kind of a, the exile that we had since the destruction of the temple is kind of a repeat. Anyways, the Shekhinah gets chased away for 2,000 years, and then it starts to descend into the world. And it takes a couple of hundred years for seven generations to draw the Shekhinah back down. Finally, Moshe, Moshe is the seventh one. He brings the Shekhinah down. So that's the, 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 so the, the concept of be here being that that's the way it's going to be also by the current redemption. Seven righteous deacon, the seventh one brings hand down to earth. Then the work then goes on to explain what exactly does it take to make that come down to earth. So the Rebbe continues to explain that one, the job over here is to take the word, the, the earth and the lower you go into creation, which is the, the lowest creation of the physical world, the lower you go, the, 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 the more rebellious or the more ungodly it becomes. Until you have a place where actually there is the residence of the other side. Which means a world that seems to be populated not by by holy people and by celestial godly holy entities, but the opposite, by the dark, by the dark side. And which means that most of this world is dark and unholy and 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 deceitful. And um full of lies, full of corruption. But that's the purpose. God's purpose is to be found by first breaking the corruption, by breaking the darkness. And he goes on to explain how when we subdue the darkness, when we subdue the darkness, we actually, and the darker it is, the unholy gets subdued. That's what triggers and touches God's very essence. That itself is the divine pleasure. That that which conceals and obscures him, when like Pharaoh and the forces of Egypt, like we learned about in the Torah, when they are brought to their knees, that gives such a thrill to the infinite, to the boundlessness of God, and that's what triggers his descent into the world. And how does it work within ourselves? We within ourselves, even though we have a holy soul, have a whole lot of darkness inside of us. And the way we will bring the Shekhinah down into the world is by fighting with the darkness that's within inside of us, subduing our unholy urges, desires, wants, passions, and what, what, whatever else is inside of us that is not nice. So number one, it works through subduing, and number two, it works through transformation. Those very same entities and objects and people and environments and, that have initially been toxic and dark and concealing of the divine, they all are transformed to become revealing of godliness. Simple words, when you go and you meet a person who is living in a godless, he lives a godless existence, he or she, that means their life is about the pursuit of materialism and serving their own ego and their own self without any higher purpose to their life. If you can reach this individual, 
and transform this individual and they become an advocate for holiness and for godly things and a and a promoter of holiness this is the concept of which the rebbe did by going not to the religious jews until the rebbe became everybody was preoccupied with saving the religious jews from becoming irreligious finding the observant jews and keeping them observant no one was really on a grand scale occupied with non-observant. Now, because the Rebbe is, is saying over here, the way to bring God into the world is to take what is dark and transform it to light. So therefore, if we keep only serving and inspiring observant people that are godly already, which means they're living already in the realm of godliness, we're not triggering god's essence and bringing him the pleasure needed to come down into this world he doesn't want to live in a world that is already full of light he wants to live in a space that was once dark and then and why did it become dark to begin with so that we can take the darkness and transform it to light so the rebbe said we must go out and find those people that are the farthest from being religious that's exactly what he did and he sent his emissaries across the entire world to the farthest of places, to towns and villages where no one ever thought that anything Jewish can ever be found over there and established. Today, there isn't a place in the world that you go that you cannot find Jewish activities, holy activities. You can't find a place in the world where God's will is not taken seriously. So much so that there's a piece of real estate in that town that it belongs to God. Everything else in that block is on that block in that community and in that place is self-serving the interests of businessmen, entrepreneurs, people that have their own money, money, personal interests. And then there is one building, one school, one, one, uh, one mikvah, one where what what is it all about? God's will. God wants a mikvah. God wants kosher food. God wants Jewish education. God wants Torah study. God wants all the mitzvahs that are done. But God wants them in dark places. What does it mean? In a world that once didn't know of him. That's the whole idea of the Rebbe's institution of Chabad Shlichot. Go out everywhere, reach the people that are the most uninterested, and flip them over. Reach the places that are the most ungodly, and institute godliness in those places. So, for instance, here in California, California was never really too much into the holy, into godly. Do you have any idea how much Chabad, how much holiness, how much mitzvahs, how many institutions there are? And then it comes Hanukkah, for instance, and there is a place called um, Universal City Walk. Walk there any night in the in the year. The type of music, the type of advertisements, the type of, of 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 stimulation that is coming is not really stimulating the godly ego or in me. But it's better not to walk there. <laughs> there are nicer places to walk that will have a more refined effect, as opposed to the music and the and the billboards and the flashing neon lights and whatever else suggesting many things that are not exactly in conform conformation with the divine will and yet comes Hanukkah 
and there is a massive event. And for most religious observant Jews, it means nothing. It is so, more than that, it's maybe even distasteful. What are you doing? You're making this big Hanukkah event outside in Universal City. You're not even supposed to walk there. It's so unholy. And yet to the Chabad mind, that's the, I remember I went there the first time. I almost, I almost passed out from ecstasy. <laughs> I was so excited. I said, over here, in this place, and suddenly there is this huge menorah and this huge screen and there's such a projection of Jewish things, Jewish pride of singing about holiness, about the miracle of Hanukkah. And it was like literally the transformation happening in front of my eyes, darkness to light. That's because I had the ability to appreciate that because I studied Hasidus. If you don't learn this, and I'm saying just because People grow up religious doesn't mean they know this. This is the teachings of Hasidus that teach that darkness must be transformed to light. So a place like that, when it gets transformed, is wow. And the Bible goes on to explain how the main, and the, the Rebbe is going to derive it all, the previous Rebbe is going to derive it all from the actual, um, the actual making of the home for God. When was the first time we made a home for God? We made a home for God in the, in the Mishka, in the tabernacle in the, de in the desert. So the Rebbe tells us, take a look very carefully with what they made that structure. They used a type of wood called shittim. And the Rebbe explains that shittim comes from the word shtut. Shtut means foolishness. They took the stupidity, the folly, the foolishness of the world, and with that foolishness and stupidity, they created a holy temple for God. They also, what they when they made it, they made they made it with beams. The sheep and wood were made it into keresh. He says the word keresh is the same letters as the word sheker. Sheker means the lies. We take a world that lies, that denies, that obscures, that covers God, and we take those very, very, It blocking God, that too becomes part of God's home. We turn the lie, the lying materials into vehicles and instruments that express God. And that means in concept that we meet in the in the conquest of this world, we 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 draft and we and we um, enlist everybody in everything. Even people that you would think, oh, no, not him. This is too lowly. This is not a person we want. No, no, no. We enlist this individual. We take this, whoever it is, whoever the person is, might be that he or she in their general life is a promoter of not the most beautiful godly things. And yet, if we can get them to join us for a Hanukkah party and light the menorah, and promote godliness, that's it. That's it. So you have to have this idea to appreciate it. Or else you say, Oy vey, that person is going to light the menorah. That person is, is, it seems to be, you know, standing for things that are not that beautiful and holy in the world. No, 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 no. 
it's a Hollywood star that generally is doing this. If they're coming and they're participating in godliness, it's darkness transformed to light. That's the idea. That's the whole purpose. The darker it is, the greater the pleasure that it has become enlisted and drafted and part of the expressing of God. Because then God is having a home in the low. And that's what he intended in, in the first place. So that's what the Rebbe set out on his mission based on this Basil Ligani to break, to, to reach the lowest elements of the world and from there convert it all, flip the entire world from the bottom up. Flip the entire world from the bottom up. The way to assure that there will never ever be anything that will ever bulldoze God's home is being asked the question. Maybe someone, you build a home, <laughs> we don't have that good of a history. Every time we created a divine structure, someone didn't like it. And someone demolished it. So how do we know we're going to build a third temple that there won't be a, a somebody who will come and will take it down? How do we know it will last forever? The only way it can last forever is when we convert every when we convert the world from the lowest tier. When the lowest and the darkest elements become allies of holiness, then there's no more. <laughs> There's no more threat. There's nowhere else, there's no one to threaten it because you pick the world up from it. It's the lowest beings that have participated in building this temple. If the lowest beings are building it, if the lowest beings are part of this, then, 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 then and there's nobody lower than them, then that is the way it's, that is your ultimate temple. That's going to last forever. And that reaches for two reasons. First of all, there's no, once you reach the lowest and the lowest becomes part of holiness, there's no more unholy. But there's more than that, is that only when you touch the lowest is when you're triggering the highest, which is God's very essence. Okay. This whole concept and this idea leads into the next idea, which is why that that's this job of taking the low, the low world and converting it and making it into a place where God is the job and the primary purpose of Israel, the Jewish people. And that's why the Jewish people are called the army of Hashem. When Hashem took us out of Egypt, we became his army. We are what kind of an army? More like a, uh, what do they call it in the army? A corpse? What is it called? Huh? Oh, they have a name. Uh, different, different. Yeah, but the, it's almost like it's 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 military work. It's it's fighting. It's fighting the darkness, but also the 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 building. It's like the it's it's the infrastructure, but it's an army to 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 vanquish the darkness and to transform the world into holiness. That's the army of Israel. The Jewish people are called the army of Hashem. We went out of Egypt. That's the name that God gave us. The legions of God, Sivos Hashem, the divine legions. But it's a ferocious battle. And then the Mimer goes on to explain how it's a ferocious battle. And the battle is a battle that is extremely difficult and hard. And in order to win the battle, and here's what happens. This desire of God to have a home in the world and to vanquish that which opposes him, God takes it so personally. And he gets so involved in it, but he plays by the rules. God, in one second, he can flip all the darkness over, but he doesn't. 
It all has to be our work. It has to come from our overcoming the challenges, our difficulties. So it comes, God patiently holds back and doesn't interfere. He allows the process to be happen from within us. We have to fight that battle. It's an amazing, amazing idea. All right. So, um, because this is a very, 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 very intense battle, the king himself gets involved in the battle, which means God, as he is, God supports those that are fighting this battle and he takes it very personally is that in order to win this battle he invests into the war every single bit of whatever he has he 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 he, he um he opens up in order to support his his military and for that he gives the example of a king who has all kinds of treasures and in those treasures um treasures that there are there's a certain element of the king's wealth that he makes public but then there is the private wealth of the king that he keeps very private he keeps it to himself he keeps it concealed and he doesn't uh, doesn't use it, doesn't spend it. It's their kind of like uh, the national reserves. And it's not even meant to be used ever. It's meant just to be the wealth of the king. And it's an accumulation that he has accumulated from generations, from from his ancestors, kings from the past. The the highest priceless. Um, um, uh, whatever they call them, priceless artifacts and things that he has. But there's one time the king will empty his treasures when he feels a threat at war. And it's not because someone is threatening the king's life. That's not the issue here. When the king wants to ha see something through and he has an a, a opposing force that is standing up against him, because now the king feels, um, because a king needs to be victorious, and because victory is rooted very, very deep inside a person, 
that when, when I have a will and someone is opposing this will, I'm going to show you. That's the way there is in our emotions called Netzach, perseverance and victory. So by God, there is that emotion of victory. And to win this battle against that which stands up against God, God doesn't hold anything back. And what he says is those that are participating, especially those that are in the seventh generation, and they're the ones that are very close to completing the war and converting all the darkness to light. In this ultimate mission, God blesses them with or empowers them by emptying out every single godly energy that there is and handing it over to those that are willing to fight. And that's the enormity what the Rebbe is saying over here that our generation, because we were given the task to finish the job, so we're given what no generation ever had before us. Because we're dealing with the final, the final, we're, we're so close to victory. So the Rebbe begins to explain, this is the, all the previous Rebbe's uh, idea that we're at, that at the, for the final fight, when there is a, a, a need to win, the, the king will take these treasures and he will, not only will he spend them, but he spends them in a sense like without, like, he, he throws it. He like, take it all, whatever you need, whatever you need, just go out there, go out there. Sending out, spending enormous amount of money and, 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 and taking, even if it's at the expense of having to, to, to liquidate everything that he's ever owned, that he's never, ever, would never spend for anything. Not for a wedding, not to impress anybody, but to victory, yes, because victory touches a person at their essence. And that's the empowerment that God is investing in us, in us. That's what the discourse is saying. So what is it by God? We have to always go back to them. It's all metaphoric. What is it by God that is called something that is hidden and precious? And very deep inside of him that he doesn't share with anybody. And he's only going to share in order to win the battle. So he explains that above, there is an element of, of God that God has, which is called a hidden treasure. What does it mean, the hidden treasures of God? So he explains, and this is where we're getting to the part that applies to this year. He explains that the Zohar says... That the infinite light, or in self, the infinite light, has two qualities. Because he's infinite and boundless, that infinity expresses itself in two, in two modes. One of it is called Lamai Lamai Adin Kates, and the other one is called Lamata Mata Adin Tafas. What it means is like this. The infinite light can come down, 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 down without an end. And it is higher, higher, higher without any end as well. Now, the fact that the infinite light comes down, 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 down without an end, that's the exposed elements of God's light. That he is descending downward to create the world to sustain the world, to reveal himself in the world, to channel his energies in the world. That's called he has an infinite power. God's in ability to, to um, descend 
what it's basically saying is God has an, an has an, an ability of descending and God has an ability of ascending. And when he descends, he can descend without an end low. And when he ascends, he can ascend without an end high. And they're both the qualities of the infinite, of the of the of the or self. If it's truly infinite, it has no boundaries. So what does descending mean? Descending means making himself accessible on a lower level. So the fact of that God, for example, God creating a world is descending. He's coming from a more infinite, boundless, indescriptive space, and he's descending into description, into definition. And that's what creation is, all definition. And on the higher levels of creation, the definitions are very, very vague and therefore very broad. And the more you're getting into the lower, 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 the lower you go, the more definitive, more constrictive, the more limited it is, the more definitive, the more things become very, very, very defined and and um, the more finite they become, um, more, right? And what we're saying over here is God's ability to come down, 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 even though he's an infinite, his power is endless and infinite. He has a power kind of to mitigate his infinite light into lower places, lower places, lower places. He can descend to the lowest place and he can share his and, and he can share his energy and his light even into the lowest vessels into the lowest containers. There's no end to how low he can come. That's one side of the orange self. The other side of the orange side is that he can be elusive. He can be above, above, and without an end. Which means he can be the opposite, non-revealing of himself, and withdraw into himself. Higher and higher and higher and higher, meaning as high as you would go and as high as we would reach, and as abstract as we will reach, we can chase God into abstraction. Chase and chase and chase. Peel away all the layers. Peel and peel and peel and peel and peel and peel. And, 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 and as high as we go, we say, we realize, oh, God is, God is just, just above me, just higher. Than you. And you think, oh, by now me accessing and understanding and touching and, 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 and ascending into this higher place, I will finally grab his infinite light and then you grab and he's just one step higher than you. And that's the idea that he's infinitely high. He's infinitely concealed. He's infinitely indescriptive. He can hide in his, in his self above, 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 above. And no matter how high you will go in his infinite light, he's still above that. So what he's going to say is, and this is where the discourse is going. The treasure of God, what is hidden, is that second element of the infinite light. The fact that he is elusive, how high he is, how high, how high, how un, un, unreachable he is. That's called the treasure because that's what's hidden, that he doesn't reveal. What is he revealing? He's revealing himself in his descending power, but not in his ascending power. That remains, that remains hidden within himself. And the discourse is going to say that notwithstanding the enormity and the loftiness of these levels of the infinite light, it's so high, it's so high, it's so high. 
to win the battle. He takes that transcendent in infinity and he shares it with us. He shares it with the people that are down here in the battlefield. They get access to the most precious and most concealed elements of godliness. On simple levels, it means that today's days, me and you can sit here on Thursday night on YouTube and speak about, or Facebook, and share secrets of Torah and secrets, the deepest thoughts that were never shared with older generations. Because we were given all this great light because we have to finish the battle. That's it. That's the awesomeness of it. So we're holding in chapter 13. We're in chapter 13. He's still discussing in order to appreciate how awesome it is, the treasure that God will share with those that are fighting and completing the battle. So in order to get a sense of, of wow on that, on, on, on what it means, this infinite hidden light, he first shares how awesome the lower element of the infinite is. The fact that he can descend down, 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 down. The descending light. The element of what the Zohar says that God's light can come down. Lamata, mata, below, below, below. And when we realize how awesome that is. And that's like the secondary element to his power. Then we can go back and appreciate the first element of it. Number one of his infinity. Which is, and, and appreciate how magical that is. And then we recognize and we're told that even that is given to us. Even the secrecy of God is given to us to win the battle. Chapter 13 discusses, so chapter 12 and 13. Chapter 12 was the portion we learned last year. And chapter 13 is the, is the, is the, is the, is the part that we're learning this year. So chapter 12 and 13 are both discussing this concept. Remember we said the features of the Orient self, of the infinite light, has two features. One is that it can come down, 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 down without an end. And the other one is that, that it can go up, 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 it rises up, up, up without an end. So 12 and 13 are both discussing the down, 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 down without an end. So that's an introduction to understand what the treasure is. This is not the treasure. The treasure is in the up, 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 and the concealed, concealed without an end. That's the treasure. But first he's explaining the awesomeness of what's not the treasure, the regular lights of the king that are not the treasure. When you go meet the king on a regular day, you will see these lights. But it's still the king's. It's still awesome. So he's describing how awesome that is. What does it mean? What you will see from the king before he takes you into his treasure chest. He is low, low, low without an end. He can manifest his light, manifest himself into existence, into creation without an end. So chapter 12 and 13 are both discussing the low, low, low without an end. But in chapter 12, he gives one explanation to low, low, low without an end, which we discussed last year. And in chapter 13, he gives a second explanation of what means low, low without an end. So in chapter 12, he explained low, low, low without an end has to do with God's ability to create worlds without an end and the fact that even when he lowers himself down and lowers himself down to create the low creations 
you can still see that it's an infinite being creating the low creations because there is an infinity in creation. He creates worlds. When he creates worlds, he creates boundless and endless amounts of worlds. So even when he's coming down low, 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 you can still see it's an infinite being who's doing that. That's why it will be an infinite number of, let's say, how many angels are there? Infinity. There's no end to it. There's no number. So even when he's coming down low, because he's, he's, he's contracting his light into creation, he's funneling it into creation, it still has a taste of the infinite. Notwithstanding all the barriers and all the filters and all the concealments through which he's feeding his infinite light, to lower it, to mitigate it, what comes out on the end is still infinity. An infinite force within the creation of Within the low creations, you still can sense there is an infinite power. That was last year's class, last year's discourse. This year's discourse is continuing on that theme, but adding another dimension. Not just that he is can create endlessly low, and the infinity of his infinite being is still infinite even when he's creating, but that within the creations themselves, he channels and he reveals himself low, low, low without an end, meaning to say he reveals his infinite blessings and the power even into the low. He goes very low, meaning to say his infinity is his infinite blessings are channeled even into places that would generally we would say it's impossible for him to share his 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 light into something that is so so on a vessel for him so what he's going to show let me just say briefly for example the lowest thing that he explains in this chapter is you have a, a feature you have an entity in this world called pharaoh who is a real low life who is a real real dark human being someone who is completely denying of god's power and god's energy and god and says i don't know god and yet that pharaoh while he's denying god is still a recipient of god's infinite blessing it says that jacob blessed pharaoh that the nile river would rise before him egypt became at that time because of jacob's blessings the most influential um um, um, kingdom on the face of the earth. Not just influence, it had enormous wealth, enormous power, enormous abilities to the point that it almost had infinite power. Its blessing was, was without a measure. Now, when you're a vessel for God, what happens is when you receive such blessing from God, you become very devoted servant to God. When you're a low life, which means you are very, very, very low, and that's the whole point of the discourse to show how low God can come, is that he can pour his blessings into something that is not a vessel for him. Someone who can receive God's blessing and then the moment they receive this infinite blessings can turn around and say, I don't know who God is. 
That's part of the meaning that the infinite can go low, 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 low. You would think that when something is so dark and so so has so much chutzpah and is so despicable that God would say, my blessings can't go there. It's almost like God's infinite patience can flow while he's infinite. His infinite energy can descend with all of its, with its potency and its power into someone who can receive the light and then completely, completely take that power as if it's his own. Now we talk about this wicked, wicked Pharaoh as if he's the most wicked, unbelievable, um, despicable being who could do something like that. And then very after we realize, we, after we have this um, 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 demonstration of Pharaoh in the discourse, here's the frightening part. The Rebbe, the, the previous Chabad Rebbe turns around and the Rebbe says, well, let's take a look and see if we have that same disease like Pharaoh. Do we have a little Pharaoh inside of us? Are we not also recipients of God's infinite blessings? And then at the same time, while we receive the blessing and with the blessing itself, we forget that it's coming from God and we think it's ours. And yet God continues to bless. So he it describes how it how this manifests both in business people and in Torah scholars. Because the Rebbe is not going to give anybody an easy time. Business people, he says, very, very much, even when they believe in God, we're talking about, he's talking to Hasidim, he's talking about to his followers, he's talking about to the to very, very, you know, good, generally, you would say, you know, observant, religious people, Torah observant people. Yet he says, interesting thing. You meet a businessman, he will tell you he knows his blessings come from God. Because when you talk to him, you say to him, how are you doing? You say, Baruch Hashem. He will say Baruch Hashem a million times, which means he believes in God. Yet, if business goes well, he is so elevated in his own eyes. He feels so proud and so he has such a deep sense of self-importance. And when business doesn't go go well and he's like this, he's having a hard time, he's crushed. So broken, so down, so like feels worthless. And the Rebbe says, hold it. When it's going good or when it's not going good, it's nothing to do with you. Because when it's going good, it's God that's making it go good. And when it's not going good, it's God that's, for whatever reason, not flowing over here. So why is it that when it's going good, you feel like you're, who knows who you are, and when it's not going, you're so as if it was you. It's not you. You yourself say it's God. The answer is you say so, but you don't really, it's, it, it's up here, but it's not in your heart. In your heart, you feel that the blessings that you're you receiving, it's you. You take the blessings from God, you. I mean, we take the blessings from God, and we, not even consciously, but subconsciously, the ego becomes, suddenly kicks in, and like, yeah, I'm, I'm shrewd, I'm a businessman, I'm so good, look how well, look what I did, look how, look, look how awesome I did. In, in one second, it like disconnects from God, it becomes me. It's my money, it's my business, I built up my business, I worked so hard, I'm a hardworking person, I put in all this, invested all this time and all this energy, and I did some of my smart moves, and because of that, I'm successful. And therefore, I take the credit. I feel really good about myself being such a, 
And this moment, no. God decreed that the blessing will flow in. And a person is completely humble in it, then they don't have that feeling. They, they, the blessing is there. They're happy that things are good. But it's not like it doesn't cause a, an, a, a, an unbelievable sense of, 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 of self-importance. And when things are bad, okay, the blessing is not there right now. It can come back in a second. It can come completely like as if I'm depressed in deep depression and so forth. It's all a sign that the person is disconnected. And that's paro. That's literally the Pharaoh's symptom. He receives all the blessings. He knows, because he himself heard from Jacob, that from the day Yaakov, Jacob, gave him the blessing, that's when it started to really, Egypt suddenly, like, <laughs> that, it was at when, Egypt, when, when he received the blessing that the Nile River should rise before him, and the Nile was the source of the blessing. That's when, it, every, so he knows it's coming from Yaakov. And yet in his own mind, he can ignore it, shut that down, and become so inflated with self to claim the river is mine and I created myself. That's what Pharaoh says. So the Rebbe shows how even good, observant, educated, well-educated people learn Torah do, and can fall into this darkness. And then he shows how even Torah scholars have the same problem. The infinite light comes down to them in the teachings of Torah. See, here it's even deeper. It's not just, we're not talking about the infinite light coming down as material blessings. The infinite light shining into their mind with Torah. Torah is a much, it's, it's God's wisdom. It's, it's a divine transmission. And yet what can happen? The Torah scholar learns it and suddenly instead of realizing that he's just an illumination, just a, re a receptacle for divine, for divine light, he or she starts taking the credit to themselves as if they, they understand, they know something, I know, I understand, and bend the Torah to suit, to suit, um, what they would like it to say, as opposed to being completely surrendered to what it does say, not what the person would want it to say. Another, just like in business, you can receive the blessing. Literally, God drops the blessing in, and the second it comes into your hand, it's not God, it's yourself. The same can happen in Torah study. Where a person, even though they know before they before they learn Torah, then and the person knows they have to make a blessing on the Torah, which means it's really a download coming from God. But the moment they receive it, they stop seeing it as a download. It starts becoming their own. They think it's their own. In other words, they disconnect from the divinity of the Torah, and it starts becoming just intelligence. And if they're sharp and they're smart, they become very boastful with the Torah knowledge that they know feel superior to other people, feel, um, and that's that's the problem. So the Rebbe is showing us the dangers of being, of the fact that the infinite light comes down very, very, very low, is that even when someone is so unrefined, whether in a business person who's unrefined, receives the blessings from God and then and then turns around and thinks the, that, that, that he or she are the ones who, who, who really amassed this wealth, or even in deeper than that, a Torah scholar, because the, 
they're physical, they're part of a physical earth where the danger of denying God is very strong, can study God's Torah and yet at the same time disconnect the Torah. Once it comes into their heads and they understand it, disconnect it from God and not be completely surrendered to, 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 the, to what Hashem wants you to do with this knowledge and how God wants you, what God really wants, but to take their his or her own personal agenda and slap it onto the Torah. Which is which is scary. It's basically the idea that the, the, the idea that God comes down low, 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 low means the lowest possible recipient is someone who won't even acknowledge they are a recipient. while they are receiving who will steal whatever they're getting and claim it's their own and yet god does descend solo and that's another explanation of the idea that god comes low 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 and that's part of his awesome in infinite cap capacity of course he can shine his light into the highest worlds that the moment there's light shines into them they dissolve completely into him they're so aware of god they they're perfect vessels for him they become completely nullified him. and so it is in all the realms above but then as it goes lower and lower and lower there becomes vessels and containers that are not vessels god pours his light even into a non-vessel and then he pours his light even to a more non-vessel and then he pours his light even to the most extreme non-vessel the most extreme non-vessel and non-container is someone who is an entity who receives the blessing and has no idea where the blessing came. And yet the blessing flows. Okay, so now let's learn the mimer inside as I gave you a little bit of an introduction. It's an hour and 15 minute introduction. We're not going to go too long today because I'm, I, as I mentioned, I was flying. I plan on finishing the discourse, not next week, Thursday, we're going to do it, because next week, Thursday, we have a Peshalach discourse in Torah order that we want to learn. But this week is your Shvat, so we're going to find other days to complete this. Ezra Sashem. I'm beginning the discourse of Tavshin Chav Gimel. This is in Sefer Memorim, Basi Legani, page Kufsamach Gimel, or it's printed, you can find it online. Basi Legani, the Rebbe begins. I've come to my garden, my sister, my bride. God exclaims, this is a verse in Song of Songs. I've come to my garden. The previous Rebbe, the, the one whose yard site is. It's stated in Medrash Rabbi in its place. To my garden, to the place where my Iker was, the place where my primary residence was. The Iker Shechina B'tach Tainim Ha'isa, the main Shechina was, B'tach Tainim was in the lower worlds. Ba'al Yedei Ha'chatoim Shal Zayin Adairis, and through the sins of the seven generations. Ma'aschel M'chait Adam Arishin, which begins with the sin of Adam Arishin. Sol K'yasa Shechina, they caused the Shechina to, to depart. Mo'matala Ma'ila from down upward. In other words, the sins of the early generations made that God found the world unappealing. And therefore, he withdrew away and away. What he once wanted, the place that he so wanted to be, suddenly became 
became un, un, undesirable. Imagine you have a place that you really, really, you know, and you have a certain type of a scent, a smell, a certain thing that you really can't stand. That's what it is. Certain, just it's, you can't stand the smell of this particular. I don't know. No, certain certain things that we feel that 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 are pleasant. Certain things that are not pleasant. So imagine you you have your most precious place, and you walk in there, and suddenly, and it has exactly that scent that you can't stand. So you don't go in. You say, "I'm not going in until they get rid of that scent," and that's what happened. When the sin came, they created a stink over here, and it caused God to say, "I'm not staying here." And it chased him away. Each sin added more to that stink, and it caused the shechina to leave the world. And then came the righteous tzaddikim, who started from Abraham, our father, the others, and all the other fathers, uh, starting with Avram and then Yitzhak and Yaakov and so forth. And they brought the Shekhinah down from up downward. Until Moshe Rabbeinu was the seventh. And all the seven ones are special. And he brought the Shekhinah down from the first heaven to the earth. Sorry. Yeah. Because the seventh Sadiqim brought the Shekhinah back. Avram brought the Shekhinah from the seventh heaven to the sixth heaven. Isaac from the sixth heaven to the fifth heaven. So each one... Amra, Moshe's father, brought the Shekhinah from the fifth heaven to them, sorry, from the from the, the second heaven to the first heaven, but the Shekhinah was still above, hovering above the earth. Moshe, who's the seventh, he caused God to land back down here with his feet on the ground. And then, since Moshe is the one who brings the Shekhinah down, that's when Moshe brings to us God's commandment, Vasali Migdash, make for me a base of Migdash, and I will dwell in it. Which is the concept of the Shekhinah coming to dwell in Tachtonim in the lower world. And it says, I will dwell amongst them. Which means, It means inside every single Jew. Again, the Shekhinah coming to dwell into the world means to bring the Shekhinah into a, build, a physical structure. But it doesn't just mean in the physical structure. The physical structure also includes, and primarily, it means that God wants to dwell inside the heart of every single one of us. And the reason why the Shekhinah will dwell first in the heart of every single one of us, because the drawing of him down comes through the work of every single one of us, through the work of the Jewish people. And what's the work? The work is to make for me a base of English. It's about the work is to make the Mishkan, the Ikra Mishkan, and the main Mishkan. was from 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 wood, from Atseishitim. In other words, again, this, this all this we discussed earlier, Atseishitim, which are the that was the material that the Mishkan was made. It's a certain type of wood that they had then in the desert. So in the discourse, he explains what does this mean in context? What does this mean in our service of God? That what that what do we use through which we're going to draw the Shekhinah down? The shitim shtus. That the word shitim comes from the word shtus. Shtus means foolishness. And the work is the other side, the ungodly is full of stupidity. It's full of foolishness. It's the foolishness of the world. 
and we have to turn the foolishness of the world, the shtus, the kedusha. And what does he explain? What is the foolishness? There's many levels. But the fact that people are so obsessed with such insignificant things, that's called foolishness. Doesn't make any sense. We become so in, 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 in driven and so in, like, and if you stop for a second and step out and, and examine, examine yourself and ask yourself, what in the world am I doing? I, I noticed the 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 shtus of the world, like one of the places you can you can literally laugh at yourself and yet everybody does. It's like when people go to amusement parks. People go to Disneyland or Disney World or whatever, I don't know. And you have adults standing on lines for two for an hour. You go on a little Peter Pan ride. <laughs> and you wonder what the, you have an hour of your life. What are you doing on this ridiculous line? <laughs> so if you're taking little children, I can understand it. But no, people just stand on these lines. You got to look in the mirror and say, don't you feel like an utter fool? Like a complete, ridiculous, insane human being? What am I doing on this line for a Peter Pan? Uh, and yet, yeah. And then you walk out and you say, ah. Oh. So, <laughs> and then you get onto another line. And stand the other line to go go through the, the, the it's, it's a small world or whatever. It's, it's insane. Okay, I understand. If you go on a day that no one is there and you go chick chack and you think it's cute, but to stand on a line for an hour and sometimes in the sun and the heat and just stand and stand and stand and stand. So just like that, that's called the foolishness of this world. Now, that's an extreme example. The, 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 the foolishness is a many, many, many things. Actually, if we step outside from most of the things that we get caught up with are really, really foolish. And but yet that's the way it is. The the, the unholiness, the clip is able to create such an excitement, such a thing about things that are actually meaningless. We 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 create such such major importance to to the experience of of of, of food. When you eat, but we create it and we decorate it and we make and we <laughs> and it becomes a whole life. Of, of a thing when when a human being in this world can accomplish such enormous godly things and to spend and to invest besides if it's for Shabbos then it's a mitzvah but to become so engrossed and so involved and spend money and spend time and to, and to you know and, and it, it it really is not befitting that's what I'm saying it's not befitting the the, the great intelligence that God has given a person to you to become so caught up in the food. And so it is all, 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 all measures of, of the material world, which is shtus. So we live in a world of shtus. And people are acting foolish and ridiculously foolish. And yet the foolishness is kind of become socially accepted. And the Rebbe is saying that we take the, the foolishness that there is already in the world and we convert that foolishness to serve God. In general, we have to convert our animal soul, which our animal soul is very into all this foolish stuff. And when we take the animal soul and we get, get our animal consciousness to chase after godliness and even do it in a foolish way. So why is it that when it comes to holiness, that's exactly when we're uncomfortable being foolish? 
When it comes to everything else, it's okay to be totally ridiculously insane. And when it comes to holiness, that's when we want to be suddenly sophisticated and we don't want to be foolish. And the service is to take the foolishness of the world, the stupidity of the world, the to the that's another thing we didn't really discuss today, but to turn it over to foolishness of holiness. Foolishness of holiness means to act in an insane way for godly purposes. Where people say to you, Are you crazy? You're standing over here online already two hours to do a mitzvah. You're spending so much money on a mitzvah. You're crazy. Yeah. And if I go to a restaurant and spend stupid $300 on a meal, I don't know what, whatever. Is that normal? Then I sat contemplating for three hours because I couldn't figure out if I want this or I want that or I want this for a ridiculous sensation that's gone in a minute. And then for a human being who's a smart, intelligent person to sit there and that becomes such a, oh, that's not foolish. That's just because everybody in the whole room decided to be stupid together. So what is that? Oh, really? I really ask myself the question all the time. It's like, it's crazy, yet it's okay. But yet people are uncomfortable when it comes to someone being foolish for something godly. And Rebbe says, no, the way the, the way to change the world is to be foolishly, to be holy in a foolish way. And this is now, because in holiness, foolishness means what transcends the mind. In the unholy, what foolishness means, what is lower than the mind. You should make the crushum for the Mishkan with standing beams. From the very, very beams of Shtus, Nasema Krushim, this is what the crushum was made out of. The Keresh. Now, another thing over here, just what we said, it was made out of Shitim, but it was also made out of. What we made was Keresh, and Keresh is the same letters as the word Sheker. Sheker means what is lying. And the service is to convert the lies of the world. That it should become a Keresh, it should become a beam for the Mishkan. It should become a structure for God. And so it is in a person's service. So just like it was in the greater Mishkan that we took these beams and we took, which these things represented these forces of darkness and lies and we convert them to holiness, the same as in our own personal service. That by getting into our own stupidities and our own parts of ourselves that are part of the lie and then getting that, which includes our body and our all of that to join into the service of God, the person becomes a mishkan, becomes a dwelling for Hashem. So then, now, you, me, ourselves, our physical bodies become the hosting place where God can 
completely reveal himself and dwell inside of us. And this is one 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 of one of one of the primary services of the of the base amigdash, who in Yanavoidis Akrabanis is the is the service of the the sacrifices. What does it mean in the service of, of a person? You're taking the taking an animal. This was that the same idea of taking the krushim, sheker, and darkness is also expressed not only in the building of the Mishkan, but in the op continuous operation of the Mishkan. What did they do? They took animals and they brought the Shekhinah down through sacrificing an animal. So in our case, it's taking our animalistic selves and engaging it in serving on serving God, which a lot of times means sacrificing on different pleasures. You're sacrificing your animal. Your physical desire wants to do so and so, and you are now bringing it now to the service of Hashem. So it's bringing your powers and yourself to godliness. And this affects so deeply that this, the Zohar says the secret of a sacrifice reaches the infinite one. And through this you draw from up, up down. You draw God down. It says by sacrifices, God says, it is so delightful to me that I spoke and my will was done. So the fact that God wants something, we do it. And that's the sacrifices that we're bringing. And that causes the Shekhinah to come down and dwell inside of us. So we start the second chapter. Not the second chapter, the second uh, paragraph over here within the Rebbe's explanation of the 13th chapter. Now this work of converting the, the lies of the world and what the Rebbe would always do is the beginning of his always discourse, he would summarize the entire discourse until the part that we're holding. Remember, he's, he's giving commentary on his father-in-law's discourse, on his predecessor's discourse. So what he's doing is every year he primarily focuses on explaining one part. But in order that we should understand what we're talking about, he does a summary of all the, of all the in short, the briefly of all the points of the discourse leading up to this point. And then he expands on this point. So over here, we're holding in the middle of the summer. So he says like this, this work of converting the darkness of the world and the shtus of this world, this is the idea of the war, this is the war of, of, of Israel. I mean, that's why we're called an army. We're fighting the darkness of the world. That's why we're called the army of Hashem. There's three meaning in the word Sava, which again, it's a dis it's discussed in, in one of the earlier discourses that the word Sava means three things. Shekulam, and here he doesn't even say what the three things are. If I remember correctly, one of them means Sava means an army. Another thing means Sava means a set time. He brings a verse that discusses the previous Rebbe that Sava means a set time. And the third thing means Sava comes from the word um, integration. And he explains. That the way the work of making the world into a holy place is accomplished is through Israel that's called an army. So it's an army that has to go to battle. But we have to realize that we all have different parts in that battle. In other words, we're all part of one army, but every single person has a different type of service. It's not one shoe fits all. Everybody's 
own services, in our own unique way. God has gifted each and every one of us with talent and abilities in how we affect the world. And we need to recognize it's not my way or the highway. We need to be able to integrate ourselves amongst everybody else and accept other ways of service, even though it's not exactly the way we think. But we need to recognize that that's part of the beauty of Israel, that some people are, are primarily prayed. Uh, Jews who pray a lot. Some people are the ones who do a lot of mitzvahs. Those who are some that are scholars, some that are the the, the supporters of the of all the organizations. Uh, you know, they're great uh, philanthropists. Some do so, some do so, and so it's like everybody plays their part in the second meaning. And another one is that we have to be very time conscious. We have to recognize there is a set time that the work needs to get done because we're given a certain amount of years. Each soul plays its role, and God doesn't give you one extra minute. So every moment has to be used. So these are the three meanings of the word sava, where there is a there is it's like when an army goes when a when a when a uh, when there is a um, what is it called when a when the marines are sent for a certain military operation for a certain they're literally working on the seconds. They have seconds. To, to, to work exactly how they're running, getting into position. Every, everything has to move by clockwork because just being off by a tiny little something will throw the whole mission off, will endanger everybody and will lead to horrific consequences. So their, their speed and their, and their uh, the point over here is the, the, the concentration, not to lose even a, 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 a moment for this. They, they have drills for for years and years of practice for that one you know ray to to get osama bin laden or to get uh whatever it's all it's all the practice that they get so to be so on on with and that's the way it is we have to constantly recognize the importance that it's a military operation of all of us together each of us have our task the beauty is when we all work together it can only be accomplished by the work together. It's an army as a whole. In other words, it's something that requires the, the, the complete devotion of a military man. It's not freelancing. That's the point of it. It's not like, okay, you're Jewish. You're doing a couple of nice things for God. It doesn't work that way. We're talking about enlisting in an army. Everybody knows enlisting in the military means you're ready to give your life for your country. God took us out of Egypt. That wasn't like, okay, who wants to hang around and be like a special people? It's who is ready to stick his neck out for me. And that's what the army meant. So number one, you're an army. You're willing to die for this. Number two, meaning you're all in. That's what it is. It's all in. It's a 1,000% commitment. Number two, you recognize you're not the only one on the job. You got to work with everybody together and appreciate everybody's work. It, the truth is these two are opposites. Because usually if you're all in it, you become so extreme about what you are doing and you don't have no, no room for anybody else. You see the paradox over here. It's impossible to actually be both. And yet, but in the military, you see, you do have, because you see people are the soldiers, but yet everybody soldier knows that everybody's part of a team, but they, and the teams all click together with different teams and together it, create, it constructs the military. But also very much the time constraint. We're working over here on, a, on the clock. We don't have infinite amount of time to get the job done. God gives us a set time. Okay. They're all necessary in man's service. To fulfill our shlichus, 
our, our, our mission that God has given us in the world. And continues and he explains and he elucidates. And this is the part that we're getting to the part that is important, that is reaching to our, where we're holding now. In order to win this battle, the king squanders all the treasures. Squanders. In general, it's not only this that generally these are treasures that is never ever used. More than that, no. He said, not only is in general you won't squander them. It's not even shown to anybody. Not only is it won't be spent, the king never shows it to anybody. He keeps it locked in in a secret vault. And not only the treasures of this generation, but even treasures that have been accumulated from generation to generation through his father, through the king's ancestors. Why is he using that? If you think about that, you learn the discourse, you have a big question. You're talking about God, who was God's ancestors. <laughs> what kind of like he's giving this this idea and the example of it. He's talking about the, the, the king's ancestors and ancestors that have these treasures put away. If we're talking about Hashem, who's God's ancestors? Ever thought about that question in Basilagani? He keeps on saying that the king's ancestors. To me, I, I, I think the king is always present in the world through Israel, through the Jewish people. And through the leaders of the Jewish people, that's where the king is coming through. In other words, the king is almost like enclosed in the leader of the Jewish people, the king himself. The Shekhinah dwells in Moshe. So when Moshe was the leader, it was not only the treasures that Moshe has. Moshe has treasures, secrets that God has revealed to him, but secrets that God has revealed to his father and to his grandfather and father's father, secrets that Abraham received from God. That they didn't share. It's just secret, secret for, for Avram and Yitzhak and for Yaakov, those secrets. So with the with with the seven last, there's the secrets of the Alter Rebbe, the secrets of the Mitla. These are like deep secrets, starting with the Balshemto, like highest things. They were never shown. If you take a look at our generation, the Rebbe, he revealed everything. He had all the books printed. He has every the Rebbe. Any any time there's any any manuscript, the Rebbe would find. He printed it. And early generations, they wouldn't do that. No one was even shown these manuscripts. The Rebbe, everything has, why? Anything can help us inspire. Maybe one particular discourse is, one thing is going to hit one of us. One read. It's like you come to classes here Thursday night. You learn, you learn, you learn. And there's like one discourse that just, that hits, what does it call it? It, 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 it um, uh, it hits the spot and it changes your life. And for that, it was worth pouring everything out because this soldier finally woke up. Each and every one of us is a soldier. Well, we're sleeping, we're kind of drunk, we're intoxicated, we're sleeping, we think we're not soldiers, we think we're not needed, we think we're just hanging out here, watching everything around us, not realizing that we're part of it. So for that, everything has been spent. All the deepest divine secrets were revealed to us. 
coming to us from the king, from his fathers. To one God, but God as he is manifesting in generation after generation. And that's what he means. The, that's what he means. The treasures that have been hidden from in there. The king is mevazves all the all the and including in this bizbus. And here's another proof that when he's speaking about the king over here, he's referring to the king and he's referring to the rebbe. <laughs> What's the proof? Watch this. He says, in order to win the war, sometimes the king goes and what else does he? As he squanders everything he has. And even his own life. The king himself goes out into the battlefield. Where he can, God forbid, die. Now hold it. If he's talking about God, what does it mean? God, 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 God is going to die? What are you talking about? So you see that when he's speaking about the king, he's talking about God as he's manifesting in the, in the tzaddikim. Yeah? And the tzaddikim went out to the battlefield. The Rebbe is alluding to over here his father-in-law's passing. His father-in-law didn't just pass away because he was an old man. His father-in-law passed away in the battle. The battle to conquer this world. Simply, he was arrested by the Russians, by the communists, and they were the, they were the atheists. They were the non-believers. They were the main force of darkness who still exist today in these, in these movements that try to eradicate God from the world. The previous Rebbe fought them and and to a certain degree, they harmed his health. Remember, I spoke at the beginning of the discourse, the figure couldn't talk. A lot of it had to do from the torture that he got when he was when he was in the hands of the uh, of the of the of the of the communists there in prison. They they literally uh, hurt him. And so there, and spiritually, it's that he's also on a spiritual level, he gave his life. He's he, he 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 like took a hit for the Jewish people by passing away, and the Rebbe seems to be implying that the seventh generation leader also is has this this mysterious nefesh of even that's the concept of Gimel Thomas, where to in order to win the battle to get it done, if it requires the king to. But it doesn't mean he's not king anymore, because if the king wants that, the king wants to win. <laughs> How's the king winning if he's not going to be here anymore? He's not going to be king anymore. He's not here. The answer is he's still king, and he's still here. He's here, but in a way that of his physical life, he gave up. But he's going to be back again when the victory is here. That's the idea. It's clear from the discourse. It's in order to win if it requires him to, to, to even to even to give his life up. Look what he says over here. And including in, in this, bizbus means a complete recklessness to win the battle. In other words, what does recklessness come from? The recklessness over here is a holy recklessness. It's when there is, in other words, the, 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 the victory, the, 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 um, the the purpose of the the objective let's put it this way the objective win is so important that there is no price tag 
no matter what, it, whatever it takes will happen. It and there's nothing you can say, no, 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 over here it stops. No, we go out all the way, all the way. Basically, it's just showing us how much we need to be invested in this. Not like, okay, you know, to bring Mashiach, to complete the work. Because the king goes out all the way. He goes out all the way in a way that he acts reckless with his with, with, with all the treasures. He reveals all the stuff that he wouldn't, for, there's nothing in the world that would make him ever consider even touching those, those treasures. And now, not only does he put it out there, he squanders it. And, and including in that recklessness is that usually a king will always stay behind in battle to stay safe. Everybody's fighting for the king. The king himself does not, does not go out in the front. But when the, when the objective win is so important, even the king lays his life on the line to win the war. Also includes this that the king himself, goes out into the throes of the battlefield and throws his life opposite him. Simply means he like endangers his life and literally actually loses his life to win this battle. So basically, when the Rebbe is saying Basi Lagani, the Rebbe is saying, I mean business. If you want to subscribe into this, into my army, into my business, I, I, I'm not looking over here for, for donations. I'm not looking for contributions. I'm not looking for donations. I'm looking for people that are going to come with me to the very end. This is what the Rebbe said to all of his Hasidim. He said, listen, guys, I'm in all the way. Are you? Basi Lagani is not an easy mimer to learn. Now, here's the thing. We are Hasidim. So it helps us to sober up when we read this. We continuously come back and realize. Being a Hasid is no greater commitment. If they commit it all. Now these, now these, now these great treasures. You say, well, well hold it. Who, who, who has access to these treasures? So usually what happens is in the in the in the in the analogy which he brought, how the king goes out to fight the battle and he and he squanders all all the all the great resources in order to win the war. He discusses that he gives it to the generals, but then the generals are meant to share the money. Let's say the king takes out and, 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 gives, and gives to his supplies. There's a supply chain. He, he spends a fortunes of money. The big checks go to the, the, the military people that are going to use the money. But the main objective of the king is not that the military people should become fat in the money, the generals. He wants bottom line. He wants guns in the hands of the fighters. He wants food to reach the people, the, the lunch boxes, to reach the people that are out there in, in the trenches. He wants them to have warm boots. He wants them to have the goggles with night vision. He wants them to have. So even though they don't get it directly from the king, 
the king sent, gives rights checks or <laughs> opens up his treasures and sells the highest things in order to have the money to be able to. And that money is given to the big, what you call them, the big knockers, the big, you know, the, the big shots. The king doesn't care about the big shots. The king wants the end user, the guy, at the, the, guy the soldier that's out there in the line of fire to have what it needs. So spiritually, it seems like this. There are great rabbis and teachers who are the ones who have access to all this information. There are people who have access to all this. What we're talking about, we're talking about over here, the king's treasure. Spiritually, we mean the secrets of the Torah, the highest, deepest secrets. There are rabbis who have the, who get access to this. They're given to them. They're given the ability to, to study them, to learn them, to teach. It's not meant for 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 people to just hog this this information for themselves it's meant to get to the end user the end user is every single jew that's out there to hear the stories to hear the teachings to hear the thing to strengthen their souls to be able to fight their battles with their yitzhara it means every single person that is every single person of the generation who's going to fight his or her own demons and dark forces within their own life and around them to illuminate, they need these secrets. So for this reason, it was shared with, 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 with uh, generals and so on and so forth so that they can pass it on to everybody else. And that puts responsibility on them as well. Whatever you know, teach. And if you're able to know more and you're lazy, then you got to realize how serious that is because there's hundreds of people waiting for these treasures. And you're not, you've been sent, it's in, imagine the, 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 the king makes deposits into the thing and the guy's not opening up his bank and he's not checking what's there. The king has deposited all this by you. Learn it, teach it, get it out there. Um, um, that's what he says over here. Even those being given over to the those the officers, the generals of the of the, of the army. The intention is It's for the actual infantrymen. It's for the people in the war itself. And it's the people. It's the individual people out there every day doing mitzvahs, engaged in worldly things and finding God and turning over darkness to light. It's the simple guys out there doing mitzvahim, doing mitzvahs, putting on tefillin with Jews, doing the things who need the inspiration. Give it to them. It's meant for them to begin with. And the general is just a funnel through which it's coming through. from this is understood, well, this is understood that the great treasures from above is given to every single Jew. Even these that are not on, on a very high level to be considered a general or a very high military officer, even just an individual private soldier. But it's these private soldiers. That means God is giving everything to every single person in our generation to win this battle. As long as you're enlisted in the army. But in order to receive this great treasure from above, 
you need to have something, a cup to receive it. Just like if you need a, a guy, if a, if, if a person has a drink, you can't give it to, the, to anybody if you don't have a cup. That's why, right? You have to have a cup. You have to have a receptacle. And that is the treasure below in our service. Through us having our own treasure, I think the treasure which is ours, that is, a, that is a vessel for the treasure from above, he explains earlier, is the treasure of fear of God that we all naturally have. We have to pull out our own fear of Hashem, and when we have fear of God, then we become a vessel to receive the deepest power, spiritual powers. And now he starts explaining what is the treasure above. And this is where it comes into what we were discussing earlier. The Isabet Kine Zoyar, it says in Tekune Zoar, which is a portion of the Zoar, the infinite one is above without an end, and below without an end. And he, as he explains in the end of the discourse, the supernal um, um, treasure is the idea of the oirin sof is above, above, without an end. That's the, remember we said earlier, the, the treasure is the, the element of God where God is concealed. Higher, higher, that which we, is not accessible to the creation. Not cre to the creatures and to the beings and to anybody. Okay. And that's what he will give in order to win the battle. But in order to appreciate that, we need to find out what is what is the other side of the Orient Self, which is generally more revealed to, to the world. And then when we realize how awesome that is, and then we realize what is what is concealed and what is above. In order to understand the greatness and the quality of the Oirin self that is above, 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 without an end, Magdam Levar, he first begins to explain as the awesomeness of the greatness. The fact that the Oirin self is below, 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 without an end. Which is lower than, which means it's less than. The Oirin Soif which is less than, it's inferior to the idea that the Oirin Soif is above, 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 and that's why it's not part of the treasure. From this, we, by, by first analyzing the lower element, we'll understand how awesome it is, which is in the other side, the Oirin Soif that is higher, higher without an end. Like he explains in the in the twelfth chapter, the chapter we learned last year, what it means that the oirin soif is below without an end. Regarding the creation of the world, which I discussed earlier, means the fact that even when God comes down low, low, low to create the lower worlds, you can still see the infinity of Hashem in creation. And now we're holding a sif base. Now, in the 13th chapter of the Mimer, the parak in which we're holding this year, which the Rebbe says that 13 is special because it's the gematria, it's the numeric value of Echad. Why the Rebbe throws that in, I don't know. Just to show that it's actually very special, this chapter. And when it says below, below, without an end, 
is referring to the revelation and the expansion of the Orin Tzov, that he expands, he expands without an end, and there's no end, that the, it's not only that he creates low, low, but after he creates, he fills these creations with his infinite blessing, that's the idea, he reveals himself, and he expands, even in the lowest level, even that which is the, the very end, and that is the very lowest, like we discussed Pharaoh and, and the blessings that we discussed right before when we went over. Let's read just a little further. I'm going to conclude over here because we're going to pick this up. This is a secondary Indian in the idea of the Orient Sof, that it comes down with below without an end. The Besifa them in the previous in the previous chapter, Mevada Inyan de Lamata Adin Tachlis, he explains the concept that the Orient Sof comes down low, low, low without an end Mitzavis The fact that he creates lower worlds. The Gambe Madrega Yoisetahtaina, even when he creates the lowest world, Yashesavus ad ein mispar. There is how many fish are there in the sea? Or how many stars are there? Do we have a number? So you see the infinity of God, even when he comes into the lowest, most, the most constricted um, space, yet even there, there is still a, the fingerprints of the infinite, if you can say. Over here he adds another idea. Also the revelation and the expansion of the infinite one is below, below, without an end. And he explains, and he continues, that the expansion of the light, the spreading of the light, is in a way of ain sof and without a limit at all, low, 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 low. What does that mean? This that the orient sof expands below without an end, it doesn't mean just that there is the worlds are created so so low. And that's why it's called Ainsof. But rather that the light that is comes down, not that he's influencing worlds without an end, but rather that the light itself. The power of God that comes down in the creation and into the world, even while it comes down low into a constricted place, it remains still in infinite. That shows the infinite's power. He can come down with all of his infinity, even in the lowest of places. Is the infinite can dwell even in where 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 based on based on the on on the capacity it shouldn't be able to dwell there and yet the infinite can dwell even even in and even when it comes down 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 he remains completely in his infinity even when he is found below and in this itself there's two levels two two details he flows into the lowest places and he reveals himself in the lowest places. 
Not only is he able to expand even into the lowest, it's one thing to say, deep inside every creation, even the lowest aspect, even inside of our physical bodies, let's say, even in the physical world, inside of us is really dwells in infinite energy and infinite life. That itself would also be marvelous. Because how can a finite vessel contain an infinite energy inside of it? That itself is marvelous. But there's another idea. It's one thing that it it's present. It's another thing that it's actually revealed over there. When we say revealed, doesn't mean in a way of revelation. Because revelation, the way we would think revelation means revealed that everybody points to it all day long. Because then if that would be the case, we would all be pointing to God's infinity all day long. That's not what it means. Reveal means he expresses itself in there. There is infinite expressions in the physical world. Like he's before he gave an example, I gave the example, which he's later going to show. Pharaoh in Mitzrayim, and Paro had such power. It was like endless power. So he was, he's not a vessel at all. He's a lowly being. The infinite is present there, not only present, but making himself heard there. Now, Paro can still deny, because he's not a vessel, that that's God. He will grab that power and say that I am infinite. He will grab that power and take that, that, that infinity for himself. We today notice with all the scientific and with especially with quantum physics, how the infinite is, is present even in the finite. And, and, and visible. It's detectable. It's also revealed. And this he says in the Maimer. We can't say now. When you say that he can reveal himself. And is revealed even in a low place. We have to define what is the low place. What is the low you might say that Atsilos, that any level of world is considered already low. Because world is 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 already means some kind of a constriction of a of a of a definitive some kind of a definition. It's a world. And that's already to the in to the infinite power, that's already considered low. So in the Mimer, the previous Rebbe, the next thing that he goes on to explain is that you cannot, it does not refer to Atsilos and above, it's actually referring to the lowest worlds as we understand it. Low, really low. Bria, Yetzirah, and Asiya, and even our physical world. And that's what he's going to continue to explain, but I'm going to stop over here. And Bezos Hashem, um, I imagine that we're going to do the rest like this. I mean, let me give you a, a, a timeline when I want to do it. I'm traveling again on Sunday to Toronto to speak somewhere. Coming back on Monday. Monday night, there's going to be a big class over here. A beautiful class by Rabbi Brisky. So the next time I will be able to do it is going to be on Tuesday. So that's my wish and my hope. The Tuesday, now I, now I have a, a, a um, what's it called again? A, I have a, um, he actually put me in the corner that I have to teach it because 
he said over there that if you know, if you learned it, you have to teach it. You can't just, it's meant for the, it's meant for the audience, not meant for you to sit there and enjoy the mime. So Tuesday, as a Hashem, we might have a Thursday night class on Tuesday as well, or maybe Tuesday by day. I'm not exactly sure when I'm going to do it, but I want to continue and pick up from here. And um, the mimer is really fascinating. Um, it will probably take us another two classes in order to finish it. Maybe Tuesday and Wednesday. Tuesday is your trap. I think, okay. Maybe not Wednesday. Whatever it is. Okay. Thank you. And we should see Mashiach now. I'm literally